Well, tonight I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, and specifically Psalm 41. The book of Psalms, and Psalm 41. And as you're turning to Psalm 41, also turn to James chapter 1. Psalm 41 and James chapter 1. In our examination of David's words in Psalm 41, I want us to reflect upon several parallel truths expressed by the Apostle James from James chapter 1 and James chapter 2. And we'll begin in James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel... And there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. And say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil things? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? And then skip down to verse 14. James says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food... And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say that, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now let's recap for a moment what James says are the marks of true, authentic faith in God. 
James says that true faith in God will impartially love others and specifically those who are poor and helpless. James says that true faith in God will strive to live wholly before God rather than embracing the sinful things of this world. Pure religion is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And then in James chapter 4, James tells us that to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. And James says that true faith in God will always demonstrate its genuineness by striving to do God's will. True faith not merely hears with the ear, but true faith desires to do from the heart. In other words, true faith does not rest in what somebody says, but how someone lives. True faith in God will be shown by its works. Now, taking these same truths and applying them to what we read in Psalm 41, I want you to notice five distinct characteristics of true faith that are highlighted through the affirmations and example of David. And beginning in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 41, we find that true faith cares for others. True faith cares for others. Psalm 41, beginning in verse 1, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Verse 1 again, David says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. And this word for consider is not merely speaking about thinking about or feeling sorry for someone, but going out of the way to help those who are without. David is saying, blessed is the one who generously gives to those who cannot pay you back. Blessed is he that truly cares for those who are weak, sick, discouraged, destitute, and hopeless. And pausing here for a moment, let me make sure that we understand that this is what God in Christ does for sinners in salvation. In salvation, Christ considers the poor. Jesus says in Luke 2:18 that he has come from heaven to earth to preach the gospel to who? To the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about all men. In our sin, apart from Christ's saving grace, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor. We are without hope, without peace, without joy, without life. Because of our sin, we are brokenhearted. We are blind in need of sight. We are enslaved to the evil one. And we are bruised and broken by the consequences of sin. But when Christ calls us by His effectual grace through the preached gospel, we find ourselves spiritually rich, spiritually healed, spiritually recovered and released from sin's bondage. So Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So looking back to our text, David declares that those who are truly among the blessed, those who have pure religion, true, living, sincere faith in God, will be those who resemble their Savior in considering the poor. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. The Apostle James says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. God bless you. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And then the Apostle John says, But whoso hath this world's goods... And seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? And it's this truth that is the underlining truth of the story of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite saw a certain man who was robbed, who was beaten by thugs, left for dead. And these, quote, religious men did nothing. But the Samaritan, when he saw the man, was moved with compassion. He went to the one who was wounded. He bound up his wounds. He brought him into an inn and paid for his stay at that inn. And it's this man that Jesus says who truly loves his neighbor. It's not the one who says, I'll pray for you. God bless. Hope everything works out. But it's the one who actually is like Christ in helping those who need help. And this ties in with what Jesus says of his sheep in Matthew 25. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand. Notice it. Come ye blessed of my father. That's the word David uses here. Psalm 41. Blessed. Blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in, naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? And when, when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And there's the truth being drawn out again. True faith in God exhibits itself by loving as Christ loved. True faith cares for others. And then looking to verse 4, notice with me the second characteristic of true faith. And David teaches us in verse 4 that true faith desires to be pure before God. Verse 4, David says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. 
Now, if you've been present in our study throughout the Psalms, you know that among all the things David desires of the Lord in prayer, a heart that is pure and holy before God is his greatest desire. Over and over and over again, David comes before God and mentions two things. He mentions the greatness of his sin and he mentions his desire to be cleansed of sin. Let me show you. Look back at Psalm 39, verse 1. Psalm 39, verse 1. David says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle which the wicked is, while the wicked is set before me. And then Psalm 38, verse 18. Psalm 38, verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Psalm 32, verse 5. Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. And then Psalm 19, 12 through 14. Psalm 19, 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Over and over and over again, David is bringing to light his sin before God and his desire to be cleansed of his sin. Now, why do you suppose David is constantly acknowledging, constantly confessing his sin? Well, he's doing so because he has true faith in God. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. We considered that in the first Three verses, and then what? To keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion does not love the world and the things that are in the world. Pure religion does not want to live in rebellion against God. Pure religion does not want to displease God. Pure religion wants to do the will of the Lord from the heart. Pure religion does not want to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm submitting to you from this psalm that one of the foundational features of true faith in God comprises having a heart that is right with God. Did you catch what I said? I didn't say that the evidence of true faith rests in what someone says. It doesn't rest in what somebody wears or even in what somebody does in an external sense. The evidence of true faith rests in having a heart that is right with God. The Pharisees did not care about having a heart that was right with God. They professed God with their mouth, but their heart was far from God. Externally, they appeared righteous before men, but inwardly before God, they were full of hypocrisy and wickedness. They had false faith, not true faith. 
And I would add to this that true faith focuses on one's personal sin before God over and above the sins of the lost world. What's David truly concerned about here in this psalm? Oh, we're going to read prayers that God would be just and God would serve justice for the honor and glory of his name. But in the Psalms, we see over and above desires for God to slam his enemies is his desire to be right with God from his heart. So lest we should be a Pharisee pointing our finger at the lost world and say, look at their wickedness, look at their sin, look how bad they are. It's the Pharisee who stood thus with himself and prayed, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men are. I pray, I go to synagogue, I read the Bible. No, we ought to be like the publican, shamed to even lift up our eyes towards heaven and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's true faith. That's pure religion. True faith in God desires to be pure before God. When God saves someone from the penalty of sin, He will always begin the process of saving that same person from the power of sin. I didn't say that God would make him perfect or sinless, but there is a saving from that power that they were under in their dominion to Satan. This is what we call in theological terms the work of sanctification. Growing in holiness, growing in godliness, growing in Christ-likeness. True faith desires to be pure before God. True faith desires to be separate from the world. And then truth number three, true faith will cause the world to hate you. So having been separated from the world by the call of the gospel, in our repentance, in our turning our backs to the world and are following after Christ. And by the way, you can't do both. You can't do a stagger step. I love Jesus and I love the world. Repentance is a turning. So your back's towards someone, somewhere, to Christ or the world. And the Bible assumes that when one turns to Christ, they turn their back on the world. And when they turn their back on the world, there's a big target that the world is going to hit. Are you with me? Verse 5. Does David have enemies? Wanting to serve God, wanting to do the Father's will? Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. And notice there that David dealt with his own sin before the iniquity of others. And when he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whispereth together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease say they cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. Now, what do we learn out out of David's life here in Psalm 41. We learn that true faith in God will always bring persecution of various kinds. When we come to faith in Christ, 
as we pursue to live a life that is in agreement to His will, we will inevitably meet with people who hate us, scorn us, slander us, and falsely accuse us. And this is where David is in this psalm, and this is where David has been throughout the psalms. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen to his followers. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Let me condense this down. If I have given you true faith in Christ, you're going to be hated for my namesake. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus likewise says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And this is what David brings out in verse number 9. David says, even close family members and close friends will persecute us because of our faith in Christ. But that's okay. Why? Because Jesus says, Matthew 5, these are the evidences of somebody who truly knows Christ. These are the evidences of someone who is blessed. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. True faith in God will always bring about a distinction from the unbelieving world. And if someone claims to have faith in Christ but they don't have spiritual enemies. If someone claims to be in Christ, yet they happily commune with the people of this world, we should be genuinely concerned for their soul. Why? Because true faith in God will bring about a known allegiance to Christ that the world will be able to recognize. Let me say it again. True faith in God will bring about a known allegiance to Christ that the world will be able to recognize. They recognized it in David. They recognized it in Jeremiah. They recognized it in the prophets. They recognized it in Jesus. They recognized it in Jesus' disciples. They recognized it in Stephen. They recognized it in Paul when he came to faith in Christ. So Paul says, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not a maybe. It's not a might be. It is a will. In some way or another. And we may not all have our heads chopped off by terrorists. But there will be those among our friends, among our family members, among our neighbors, among the community who hate us simply because we love Christ. Then the fourth truth that I see in Psalm 41 regarding what true faith 
in God contains is a confident assurance that God is with and for His people. A confident assurance that God is with and for His people. Verse 11 and 12. David says, By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. But as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and setteth before me thy face forever. Now David's talking about real human enemies, but let's read this verse again in light of the enemy, the roaring lion who's walking about seeking to devour, the one who hates our soul, the one who wants to sift us as we. I know that thou favorest me. Because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil may attack us and even hurt us, but it doesn't triumph over our faith. We're in the hands of God. No man can pluck us out. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love which is in Christ Jesus. As for me, thou, speaking of God, upholdest me in mine integrity, even in the midst of the battles, and settest me before thy face forever. So in these statements of David, we find that though David's enemies are against him, David knows, notice it, I know. I know whom I have believed. I know. David knows that he is safe in God's keeping. Do you see that? He knows. He knows. He's confident that God loves him. He's confident that God hears his cries. He's confident that God will be with him. Though men mean things for evil, he knows without a shadow of a doubt that God will mean it for good. Romans 8, 28, help me out. And we, there it is. We know. Do you know just here or do you know here? Is it just a theological truth or is this a truth you rest your whole soul upon? And we know that all things work together for good to those who have true faith in God, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And then above all, there at the end of verse 12, David says that God in His grace sets him before God's face. In other words, in the midst of the problems of life, David has a known fellowship with God, a sweet communion with Him. That's true faith. True faith communes with God, not just on the mountains, but in the valleys. Psalm 23, we find that though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he's not going to fear the evil because he knows that the good shepherd is with him. He knows that the good shepherd will protect him and provide for him. There's going to be rivers of water, delight to his soul in the midst of the darkness. So do we find this singular truth being a truth emphasized and celebrated in the New Testament? Well, I've already mentioned it, Paul. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And Jesus says, I give unto them, his sheep, eternal life, and they shall never perish, 
neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Peter says that God's people, God's sheep, those who have true faith are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Jude, Jude says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God keeps us. God preserves us. God upholds us. True faith in God has a confident assurance given by the Holy Spirit that God will hold us up in the midst of life's storms. And then finally, verse 13. Verse 13 teaches us that true faith in God continually praises God. True faith in God continually praises God. How does David end this psalm? He ends it by saying, Blessed, blessed, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. To God be the glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let Him be magnified. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. Despite what's going on, despite my enemies breathing down my neck, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord when, always, and again I say, rejoice. What is this a mark of? This is a mark of true faith in Christ. You see, let's go back to Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed. The one who merely praises God for a short season after an emotional camp, the one who praises God after making a quick decision and then fades away, is not truly rooted in the vine. But it's the one who has fruit that follows that faith. So praising God is another evidence of true faith in Christ. Not perfect praise, but the flame of praise. Can can someone praise God when everything seems to be going against them? Job could. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth at As gold, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David's rejoicing in God through the darkness. Saul, or Paul and Silas, Acts 16, rejoicing in God at midnight, singing praises to his name. Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 through 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives, shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. If everything in the land turns to famine, if I should lose everything, Habakkuk goes on and says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. True faith continually praises God. So let me ask you as we conclude, do you have true faith in God tonight? Do you have living faith or dead faith? Do you have true faith or traditional faith? And if you can honestly look at your life and say, yes, From these evidence, I can see that God has transformed my heart 
And God has brought these things into my life. It's not anything that I have done for God. It's something that God has done for me through His grace and the work of salvation. If that is you, then be exceeding glad that your name is written in heaven. Be exceeding glad that God has given you true faith. And rest in that. But if you examine your life and you see selfishness, a love for sin, a love for the world, a carelessness toward doing the will of God, then what you need to do is tremble. And you need to search your heart. And you need to recognize that if you die in your sin, you will spend forever in hell. True faith in God. Why does God give us these characteristics? So that we might examine our hearts by them. So that we might know whether we're on the straight and narrow that's leading to heaven or on that broad path leading to hell.